Hi, my name is Ben DeVries, and thank you for listening to the third episode of A Corner of the River. I'll be thinking somewhat about the five stages of grief and how they relate to following the invasion of Ukraine from a distance. I hope it's clear that I don't want at all, even fractionally, to compare to what the Ukrainians themselves are going through, whether they're still in Ukraine or have left the country as refugees. That is a staggering level of uh, threat and fear, um, loss that each of them are going through um, on a daily basis. But there's also some emotional burden to following a crisis like this, even from a distance. In my case, across the ocean in the Midwest of the U.S., And I get the sense that some of my friends and contacts uh, and social media uh, wrestle with some of these dynamics as well. To be honest, I mostly wanted to talk about the emotion of anger, uh, which has arisen in me on multiple occasions uh, since the first night of the invasion back in mid-February. But some of those other stages of grief uh, that we tend to know uh, by popular reference, also tie into anger on some level. So I thought I might spend a few minutes touching on those as well. Five stages of grief were introduced in the 1960s by psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And today, some people question if there actually are stages of grief, um, or if they do exist, uh, that they're certainly not linear, as in you move from one to the second, to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, and then you're done, or really any any other order. Um, and that makes sense. Uh, one of my all-time favorite um, authors and Christian thinkers and heroes, C.S. Lewis, uh, has a well-known quote in A Grief Observed, a book that he wrote after his wife's death. He writes, grief is like a long valley, a winding valley where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. And if I'm not mistaken, elsewhere in the book, I think he talks about revisiting places he feels like he's already been before in his grieving. So this will be uh, just a very loose application um, of these so-called stages, but I do think they have uh, some validity or some some common experience for, for many of us. The first is denial, and I don't know that I've struggled with this so much in following the situation in Ukraine, Um, except that perhaps leading up to the invasion, I hoped, like many others, that Russia would actually back off and not proceed, and of course that turned out to be a false hope. Um, I've also seen some denial uh, or avoidance of blaming Russia in certain respects or wondering if they have some right to do this and and some of my friends and circle of acquaintances and um, that's frustrating for me to observe but it hasn't been a huge issue for me uh, if at all since the beginning of the invasion. Um, Then the second stage is the one I mentioned I wanted to focus on more than anything which is anger. I felt an absolute fury rise up in me. I mentioned in the first episode how when the invasion broke, it was uh, evening 
our time here in, in the Midwest. And uh, after an hour or two, I got in my car to get away from the family, drove for about five or 10 minutes and just started screaming my head off in the car uh, in anger and in, in prayer, angry prayer, uh, just about the brazenness and greed, um, just staggering arrogance of uh, Putin and the Russian military to think that they had any right to not only invade another sovereign country in Ukraine, but kill hundreds, if not thousands of people in the process, destroy uh, cities and buildings, et cetera, et cetera. I just could not wrap my mind around that. And since then I've had anger about other um, other news points or, or the situation as a whole. There's been a staggering loss of life uh, through uh, bombing and missiles uh, in, in many cities in Ukraine. Those are some of the earliest uh, news stories and images that we saw. I've mentioned before one of the videos that popped up in my Twitter feed sort of out of nowhere of a large pile of rubble and rescue workers uh, pulling a toddler, not much older than my own uh, one-and-a-half-year-old son, out of the rubble and trying to resuscitate him. And uh, my heart broke, and as often happens, uh, especially for us men, um, there's just a surge of anger that quickly accompanied that. Been incredibly angry at the heartless siege of Mariupol, a country, I believe, of about 500,000 people initially, and at different stages of the siege, I think there's been 300,000, then 200,000, maybe less at this point, residents essentially trapped in that city. Um, as in other places, uh, those who have tried to evacuate haven't always been successful, have been shot at, which is, again, just absolutely heartless cruelty. But in the siege, they've lacked supplies, essential supplies like food and water and, and uh, medicine. Um, and uh, once again, just cannot wrap my mind around the type of uh, cruelty and wickedness and heartlessness that it would take to do that to tens upon tens of thousands of people who solely suffer to death if they can't escape or find the resources they need. Um, in terms of evacuations from, uh, I believe from another city, uh, there was a photo uh, that just released a couple of days ago of an entire family uh, that was machine gunned in their car, uh, trying to leave a city and leave danger. And that family included a two-year-old. Um, and I don't know how to process what type of person it would take to do that. We, most of us have seen stories, if not images from Bucha, and which was a, a suburb of Kiev, I believe, uh, after the Russians left and the just absolute brutality that they left behind him, bodies lying in, in the streets, men with their hands tied and shot in the back of the head still lying in the street. Um, and I should warn, I'm trying not to be too graphic, but there will be some additional reference to, to one or two or a few of these specific horrors um, 
So if you're triggered by rape or uh, that type of description, feel free to tune out for uh, a couple of minutes. But on the other hand, I think it's important to know some specifics, some examples of what's actually taking place there and, and probably still taking place in some areas of Ukraine. There were two particular scenes of families that I saw around the same time, one from Bucha and one from another city. Uh, and families that had been, entire families that had been slaughtered by Russian soldiers um, or, and or those fighting along with them. And one of them uh, looked like a mini Gehenna uh, with charred bodies around a tree in a field. Could hardly tell where one body ended and another led up, or another started, I should say. Uh, another was uh, essentially a family in a heap in a basement with uh, both a teenager and a very young child uh, naked on top. Thankfully, they had blurred out some of the some of the uh, more sensitive parts of the image. And uh, as far as I remember, both both of the children, both the child and the teenager, had signs of uh, sexual abuse as well. And that level of inhumanity, indignity, um, rape, and abuse, um, in that case, it actually paralyzed me. And I'll come back to that in uh, just a moment or two. Uh, a week, week or two ago, um, actually a couple of Fridays ago, our young son had a fever that spiked and had a febrile seizure that accompanied it. Uh, I was out of the house, but my wife was here at the house with, with him and was uh, naturally very uh, freaked out by what happened, even though she'd had some frame of reference uh, with that with her older son when he was, was little. I ended up meeting her at the hospital and uh, just the thought of uh, any child suffering on any level um, naturally um, breaks our heart. And thankfully our son was okay. They monitored him for a while and gave him the medicine that, that, they, that he needed. But again, it was a terrifying uh, experience for my wife to witness those early moments. Uh, with a seizure. And it made me think as I was sitting there in the emergency room with them, not for the first time, asking myself, how could anybody possibly target a child, inflict that kind of suffering, not just uh, fever, flu, or sickness, but violence upon violence and horror upon horror. And that naturally brings about uh, significant anger in myself and I think in most of us. And of course, it's not just children. It's doing that to any innocent party um, or even to the soldiers defending their country. And a couple other ways anger affects me, I think, are, to be honest, um, 
anger at God at times. How could you let this go on? How could you not do more to stop it, to prevent it, to have prevented it in the first place? I've had moments, not just that first night in the invasion, but uh, just a few nights ago, driving home from running some errands alone in the car again, and just angry, angry, angry prayers with, to be honest, words I would not use in polite company. Um, And I'm thankful that God would rather I get that out and communicate with him on, on that level as opposed to no level at all. But at times, there's just an absolute rage. Uh, It seems that he's the only person who can stop these types of horrors of this magnitude with an actor like uh, Putin and the Kremlin and the Russian military who seem hell-bent on inflicting as much pain as they can, as much death on the Ukrainians and, and destruction on their country. In a more selfish sense, uh, although I, I hope I don't dwell on this much, but I think it does affect me or hit me from time to time, I'm angry at my own loss of joy and or peace, even innocence, um, that I felt at times through these last couple of months. We had a vacation during that time, and there's other days and nights or weekends where I'd, I'd rather think about other things rather than, than tracking this invasion feeling compelled to stay up with the news and and um, I wonder if we all uh, struggle with that at, at different times and I'm sure there's some sense of helplessness that goes along with that um, knowing that I am ultimately not someone who can really affect much of what's going on except to continue to pray but if, again again if God is not acting or seems to not be acting or acting quickly enough um, that that's a rather helpless feeling as well. And there is also some anger when I encounter people who are questioning uh, what is happening, um, including people in my own circle, as I've mentioned from time to time. Another stage of grief is that of bargaining. And I don't know that I've bargained with God specifically about uh this, the crisis in Ukraine, but there's probably times like even the that night a few nights ago where I was praying very angrily of thinking or hoping um, that I can force God's hand that if I, you know, talk strongly enough and scream loudly enough and pray forcefully enough that, that God will perhaps act that time and instead of the other times when I think or pray more calmly about what's going on there. And the fourth stage is that of depression. And as I mentioned, uh, when I saw those two photos of the slaughtered families that I referenced, um, I absolutely flatlined. Um, I, I stood there um, uh, just just paralyzed. And I think it was harder for me after that point um, to, to pray as much as I had been. Um, at times to post, you know, on social media as I had been. And I know that I was tired uh, in general and we're human beings. Our physicality affects us. Um, We have many other things going on in our lives. I do as well. 
And there are times when you're just exhausted and out of energy, out of resources, and that certainly affects how you view any situation, even a crisis like this from a distance. But there was a sense of paralysis and um, some form of despair or depression that hit me uh, on, on some level. Um, where you just don't quite know where to go next with that. And thankfully it didn't last or wasn't comprehensive, but I, I think I was affected in some way uh, for uh, uh, several days after that. The quote-unquote final stage of the five stages of grief is that of acceptance. And it's a little hard to talk about how that applies here. We obviously cannot accept the war as good or as warranted on the part of Russia. It is none of those things. It is an abomination in every possible way. And the cruelty and brutality, savagery that is happening there are not acceptable, never will be acceptable, never have been acceptable. They're not to us, and they're certainly not to God, whether our prayers seem to be working or whether he seems to be acting in every situation related to that brutality or not. Um, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are human. We have limited bandwidth, uh, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental bandwidth. Um, and... On some level, we have to find a way to process this. I have to find a way to process this, continue to have to find a way to process this in a way that doesn't paralyze me or drop me out of commission for other areas of my life. At the same time, I need to stay concerned and on some level informed, continue to pray and hope on behalf of the dear people of Ukraine, those who are suffering there. And that's a very difficult balance to strike. Before I end uh, this episode, I thought I'd just go back over each of the stages and, and just offer a few um, uh, suggestions for things that might, might be helpful in, in tackling each of those stages or working through them a little bit further. Um, I haven't uh, always been successful with these, and they may or may not uh, work for you where you're at with this right now, but I thought I'd at least try to provide some uh, sense of positivity or um, perhaps uh, small paths forward with some of these. But when it comes to denial, I think we can play a part in informing others, uh, being firm, but hopefully gentle on some level, but firm about the reality of what is happening, about Russia being the aggressor, committing unspeakable acts, and needing to stop committing those acts and, and stop this invasion altogether. Only they can do that, or only God can make that happen for them. In addition to the human actors who are defending Ukraine and, and need sustenance from God, strengthening from God. When it comes to anger, uh, there is such a thing as righteous anger. We've seen Jesus demonstrate that to the Pharisees and when he cleansed uh, the temple marketplace 
in the Gospels. There are also the imprecatory psalms where the psalmists, David and others, are praying against their enemies, often in graphic and uh, incredibly strong language. One example I read recently is in Psalm 21, verses 8 through 12, and this will be in the NIV. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you, that is God, will burn them up as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. That's just one of many examples in the imprecatory psalms. So there is a natural anger that rises up in us when we hear about or witness um, crimes against humans and violence and injustice. That is a very natural response and hopefully triggers some kind of productive action on our part whether it's prayer or getting involved or helping in some way or speaking against that injustice and violence. But I was also reminded of the famous verse uh, in Ephesians 4, and I'll be reading uh, verse 26 and 27, where we're told, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And Paul seems to be acknowledging that there is a place for anger, but it's possible to demonstrate it, to even feel it, I would imagine, on a level that is unhealthy, that is even sinful. Uh, and if we stew in it long enough, deep enough, unproductively enough, it can mutate into other things that are, that are even less healthy and even less cooperative with God. One of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard, um, a Christian professor and uh, teacher on spiritual formation, is, anything you can do with anger, you can do much better without it. And I've been reminded of that from time to time, probably not as much as I've needed to be. And I'm not sure if it entirely implies here, if we didn't feel anger at what we see happening in Ukraine, um, I don't think we would be human. But in terms of processing it, responding to it, praying about it, helping Anger probably has a short leash in terms of being helpful. And I know that I personally need to continue balancing the anger and sometimes I think even a healthy boldness that I have in approaching God about what's going on in Ukraine and begging him, imploring him to act, to save lives and stop the horrific acts that are happening in Ukraine, um, but balance that with a warranted trust and respect, um, knowing that, of course, that he is God and I am not. 
when it comes to the stage of bargaining or the act of bargaining, um, I guess I try to think of praying with, with faith and again with boldness even, uh, maybe even with animation, whatever works, whatever comes out honestly, but still occasionally calling myself back to that principle of God, God is God, I am not, and he has to do as he sees fit and in his timing. And I am not privy to that bigger picture, unfortunately. And also to be grateful for occasional answers to prayer that I see when I when I pray about Russian uh, equipment of war to, for it to be incapacitated and destroyed. To thank God when I hear reports of that, uh, such as their flagship warship that they actually sunk yesterday, um, or you hear of uh, cases of people being rescued or uh, evacuated safely, um, protection for the people evacuating them, such as uh, Genady McNagno of uh, the Pilgrim group in Mariupol, who is still on the front lines with his colleagues in that area and perhaps even in the city itself still, um, and very worthy of our continued prayer and support. And I, I really do think there's something to be said for just pounding on God's door at times, uh, not something we can sustain all the time, and ne we need to be able to regroup with some peace and rest and hopefully some trust that God can continue to work in this situation, whether we're actively thinking about it or not. But that parable of the persistent widow uh, in Luke 18, 1 to 8, and uh, these verses are in NIV as well, but just read a couple of them from that, that parable. It says, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to the judge, who in this story uh, was not a God fearer, uh, was not a just uh, judge, as far as we can tell. So she kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And initially he refused to help her. But eventually, the passage reads, because this widow keeps bothering me, says the judge, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And skipping ahead of verse, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I was grateful to read over that parable uh, a day or two ago. There is a place for boldly and persistently asking God to intervene. And I think there's a measure of faith that's demonstrated when we continue to do that, even when we don't see direct results or see enough results. Every single life that is affected, let alone taken, brutalized in Ukraine is a life too much and I can never escape that fact. 
but God can still be working on the whole. And I don't know how to reconcile those two things, but I have to continue to work toward that or let God work toward that in my mind and in my heart. When it comes to the stage of depression, um, I, I know that it helps to occasionally encounter friends um, on Facebook or otherwise who seem to share the same concern and uh, heaviness for Ukraine. Um, very thankful for those interactions and for the moral support that they've provided to me. I think I can also continue to work on doing better at regulating um, how much I'm taking in, how often I'm taking in news of Ukraine. Step away at times um, and do other things, let my mind uh, engage with other things and with other people, other situations. Gradually, I feel like I'm doing a little better at that, but there's still times I sort of revert back to just endless scrolling. And also, I need to prioritize, make more room for, even if it's not large amounts of time, just reading some scripture, reading reading a psalm or two, um, and praying, and just coming back to prayer. I feel like I've I've done that a little bit since that that difficult week or so that I mentioned earlier, where I, after I was just sort of paralyzed and exhausted. Um, but there are still days where I just have to remind myself, pray, pray about this. Don't give up, pray. Even if it's just a sentence or two. And finally, when it comes to the stage of acceptance, um, you know, one of my longtime missionary friends, she said, it doesn't help to not be able to function, to not be able to be there for our kids, for our families. Um, and, and I agree with that. It's hard hard to, to live that out, but I, I agree with the point she's making. Um, and I don't, I don't know the right balance here. Um, I came across a couple of quotes, one from a risk analyst, and observer of war named Ruslan Trad on Twitter. And he wrote, we are approaching a period of getting used to the reality of war. The Ukraine war is quickly becoming a story of statistics. Apathy is knocking on our door. I cover conflicts for 11 years and saw the symptoms many times. This is what authoritarianism hopes for. And then the wife of President Zelensky of Ukraine. Uh, his wife's name is Olena Zolenska. Uh, she wrote in an interview with CNN, the main thing for Ukraine today is that the whole other world hears and sees us, and it is important that our war does not become quote-unquote habitual, so that our victims do not become statistics. That's why I communicate with people through foreign media. Don't get used to our grief. And there's a lot of truth to that. On the one hand, I have to be able to live my life in its totality, work and family, and get some other reading 
or hobbies or baseball in outside with my son. I need to go for a walk outside. I have not done that in the longest time. And continue to move toward a more balanced thought life uh, that still encompasses concern for Ukraine and prayer for Ukraine and acknowledges the burden that I feel that I believe God has given me personally. And perhaps you feel the same on some level to care about what's going on there and to pray, um, to do something productive, including a podcast like this. There's a woman by the name of Melanie Goggins who posted on Facebook, uh, just a, a a wonderfully honest response to the emotion she feels in observing what's going on in Ukraine. The post is from uh, a little over 10 days ago and really encapsulated a lot of what I had been thinking and feeling. Uh, she's a Christian. And I just thought I'd share uh, just a few lines from what she wrote. There are bodies after bodies person after person, who show evidence of severe trauma and torture before they were killed. There's more, there's worse. There's video and pictures, and story after story. There are things I don't want on my Facebook wall because I don't want to ever think about any of this again, but I will. I'm determined to bear witness and pass information and share context where I'm able and connect people to others as needed. I refuse to look away. I'm very grateful for what Melanie wrote and am again tonight as I read through it again, just how honestly and passionately and articulately she communicates her deep, deep concern for the Ukrainians and what they're going through. Uh, I hope in some small way these past few episodes have been of some empathy or encouragement to you as you think about and care about and pray for Ukraine yourself. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the time to listen. That means an awful lot to me. I'll share a link to Melanie's post and to some of the other articles and uh, things mentioned in the podcast. And may God bless you and keep you. And may he bless and keep and protect, provide for, supernaturally sustain the people of Ukraine. In Jesus' name, amen.